For the month of September and October, we're going to be in a series titled, A Church Called Good. It's about rejecting the toxic culture of celebrity and consumerism that sometimes engulfs the modern church, and instead embracing and nurturing a culture of goodness. Appreciate you listening. Have you ever heard anybody badmouth Fred Rogers? Um, like, like that, the Fred Rogers, the Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, the would you be mine, could you be mine, won't you be my neighbor. You ever heard anybody run him down? Ever read any scathing articles about him? Like people just rip, you ever heard anybody cuss Fred Rogers? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, like people's like, that Fred Rogers, man, he's a, I mean, he's a jerk. He's a, he's a scumbag, Fred Rogers. I mean, it almost sounds sacrilegious to say it, right? Because there's no more likable guy in our country than Fred Rogers. Maybe Dolly Parton is a close second. But everybody loves Fred Rogers. Like nobody would ever say anything bad about Mr. Rogers. And we, because it's just like, he's just so nice. I mean, he's just such a nice guy and he's so loving and he's kind and soft-spoken. And when he looks in that camera, but we don't really know Fred Rogers. All we know is what we saw on TV, right? And everybody's nice on TV, especially children's programming. They're all nice. So PBS, they all talk soft. You know, so I mean, like we, we what was it about Fred Rogers? That made that show so appealing. What, what, why is he, like after his death, there have been books written about him. There are documentaries produced about him. There was a movie that was released a couple years ago about him. There's, there's thousands of articles on the web about Fred Rogers and why he's so likable and why everybody in America just, just loves this guy. In 1984, Terry Gross asked him, what is the secret to your success? This was 50, 50th anniversary of uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And she was interviewing him, and she's like, why was it so successful? Because if you watch it compared to other children's ministry shows, I mean, it's nothing. Like, it's, the, it's hand puppets, and they built the sets themselves, and the camera angles are weird, and it's mostly just a guy talking into a camera. I mean, it's, you know, like there's no special effects and high music, and the screens don't change every two seconds and all that kind of stuff. It's just a guy talking into a camera, and yet it's so appealing. And so Terry Gross was like, what is it? Why is that so appealing. And this was uh, Fred's answer, part of his answer. Every one of us longs to be in touch with honesty. I think we're really attracted to people who will share some sense of their real self with us. In other words, Fred's answer was it's authenticity. Like people like it because it's authentic, because they feel like it's, you know, it's, it's the real me, if you will. Um, we're attracted to people who give us an honest version of themselves. Like when we interact with people, we want to know that we're dealing with that person. Like we're actually dealing with the real person. We're not dealing with somebody who's fake. We're not dealing with someone who's just doing this for show. We're not dealing with someone who's just doing this for the cameras. Like we want to know we're dealing with the real you. And um, not some kind of carefully crafted image of you. And that's become difficult because we're now all our own producers of our own TV shows. You know, we carry cameras in our pockets and we carefully kind of figure out as producers what we're going to share with the world around us. And so it's become even more difficult with the rise of social media to figure out, like, who's the real you? Like, is this you or is this the image of you that you want me to see? 
in, in this book, The Church of Tove, they talk about Fred Rogers uh, talking about how many people said that he was the same person behind closed doors in the studio and in the studio that he was on screen. There was no duplicity in his character. Tom Junod, a notoriously hard-nosed interviewer from Esquire magazine, who often dented and even crushed the reputation of well-known stars, had this to say about Mr. Rogers. What is amazing about Fred was that he was the exact same person he was on TV. There was no show. There was no act. This was him. Elizabeth Siemens, who worked with Rogers for years, said he was not proud or arrogant. He didn't take anything or anybody for granted ever. He was flawed, but he was a really, really great man and a good man. You might be tempted to look at Mr. Rogers as an outlier because his persona is so distinctive, so countercultural, and even so unexpected. But what set Fred Roger apart is not beyond our reach. Now, Tom Junod is uh, the, the reporter whom that movie, I didn't see the Tom Hanks movie, but it's, it's the guy that that movie was about. Like, Junod set out to discover the dark side to Fred Rogers. Like, he set out to badmouth Fred Rogers and to trash him with an article like, this guy can't be who he is on TV. And so he set out to kind of discredit him. And over the course of getting to know him, realized, like, you can't discredit, like, this is... This is who he really is. This is no show. This is not an act just for the TV. And it got me thinking, like, you know, in today's society, everybody's, you know, everybody's got something negative to say about somebody. I mean, come on. We love to rip each other apart in today's society. So I, I went on a search this week on Google trying to discredit Fred Rogers. So I was like, there's got to be some bad articles out there about him. So I was Googling stuff like the dark side of Fred Rogers or, uh, you know, Fred Rogers is a hypocrite or um, Fred Rogers was no saint, and I found one person who agreed with me. I found one article, and it was an interview with somebody that knew Fred Rogers on a very personal level that said he was no saint. You know who it was? His wife. That was the one person, his wife. He was married for 51 years, and his wife had this whole article where she said, no, Fred was no saint. He was, the, he was not a perfect man. But she also said he was not a phony. So he was, he was his real self. He acted out of his real self. And she said the one thing that frustrated her the most after his death, she said people tend to put him on a higher pedestal than before. And the thing that frustrated her the most is people would come up to her and say, I just loved your husband. He was just so likable. He was just such a lovable guy. I wish I could do that. I just admire him so much. I wish I, I, wish I could be that kind. I wish I could be that love. And she was like, what frustrated her was like, you can. Everybody can do this. Authenticity is the one thing that we want most from other people. Like we just we just want them to be real. We just want to know that we're dealing with the the real them. Like the, the, we don't want somebody to just to be fake with us. We don't want somebody to be a hypocrite with us. So authenticity is what we desire from other people and it's the one thing that other people desire from us. They want to know that we're being our real self. That this is truly we're not we're not putting on a show, we're not pretending. They want to know that we're being our real self. So if authenticity is the one thing that everybody wants out of other people, and it's the one thing that we want out of other people, why is it so hard for us to be authentic? Because we continue, as, as much as we value this, and much as we think, yeah, this is really good, we, you know, we don't want people to be fake, we don't want people to be hypocrites, then why is there such a strong temptation to be hypocritical? Why do we continue to pretend why do we continue to, to cover up? Why do we wear the mask? Why do we fake it? Um, why? I want you to hang on to that question. 
And we're going to dig into that just a little bit deeper. First, I want you to see what Jesus has to say about it. And Jesus doesn't talk about it. He doesn't use the word authenticity in this text. He uses the word hypocrisy. And that's the opposite of authenticity. And so this is the seven woes. In Matthew chapter 23, we're going through the seven woes that Jesus issued against the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And the first three were characterized by a lack of empathy. These next three that we're going to read today are characterized by a lack of authenticity. And so I'm going to start reading in verse 23. I'll just read the text, and then we'll talk about it. Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, a couple of notes as you go. And when Jesus is hitting on the opposite of, of authenticity. Hypocrisy is the opposite of authenticity. So if authenticity is desired and attractive, hypocrisy is repulsive. Like we, nobody likes a hypocrite. Uh, we, we get more frustrated about that than almost anything. In our society, when, when someone is acting, like if a political leader is acting hypocritically, asking us to do something that they themselves are not willing to do, oh man, we will be quick to call that out and jump all over that. If a Christian leader is acting hypocritically, like not practicing what they preach, not living the way that they preach, then we will jump all over that. I mean, there's nothing that bothers us worse than a hypocrite, and it bothers Jesus. And he hits several, he gives three examples of it right here. In verse 23 and, and through 24, he uses that, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. A gnat was the smallest unclean animal. And there were all these cleanliness laws that they were trying to follow from, from the Old Testament. And a gnat was the smallest unclean animal, so they would actually strain their drinking water or their wine to make sure that they didn't accidentally swallow a gnat. And he said... It, it, like you're worried about following the minutiae of the law, but you're neglecting the more important things of the law, like mercy and justice and faithfulness. Like you, you should have, yeah, it was, it's great that you're tithing, but the tithe doesn't mean anything if you're neglecting these more important matters of the law. And then he gives the example of the, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside's full of greed and self-indulgence. And that's pretty self-explanatory because that's the basic definition of hypocrisy. A hypocrite is someone who doesn't embody internally the same thing that they seem to body externally. So they're more concerned with appearances, more concerned with the outside, more concerned what other people think and their reputation than what's actually going on inside their heart. And then that last one, the whitewashed tombs, is also about uh, the cleanliness laws because if they stepped on a tomb, they were considered unclean. So they would actually whitewash the tombs to make them very visible, especially visible at night, so that you wouldn't accidentally step on a tomb and become unclean. And Jesus said the, t the tombs look beautiful, and, and, oh, but on the inside, they're full of rotten. I mean, it's, it's full of wickedness on the inside. So he's calling them out for all of these. And the problem here is that uh, is not just that people aren't presenting their real selves. It's worse than that. 
So like when you study the Pharisees, it's not just, well, where the, you know, not, they're hypocritical in that they're not presenting their real selves. They're actively trying to conceal who they are by polishing up the outside. So when you, when you talk about authenticity, I was thinking about like quotes I've seen about it in culture, and everybody loves this. Like this is popular. This is popular within culture at large to just be your real self. Just be your real self. Be, and I'm like, is that the Christian version of authenticity? Well, not really. Um, like, it, you know, it's not like, well, well, I'm really a jerk on the inside, and so I'm just going to be my real self and be a jerk, and everybody will like me because, hey, at least he's authentic. He's an authentic jerk. You know, or he's an authentic. You know, no, that's not. That, Jesus says, first, clean the inside, and then the outside will be clean also. So Jesus is talking about creating goodness in our hearts. He says, you got it backwards. You're trying to present this image of goodness without really worrying about whether or not you've changed anything on the inside. No, don't forget presenting the image of goodness. If you'll change things on the inside, then you will present an image of goodness. Then, the, then what you try to present, or it will match up with what you actually are. So Jesus is calling us to be kinder, to be more empathetic, to be humble, to be um, to be to be a better version of ourselves. I think that's what Jesus is calling them to, and that's what he's calling the Pharisees to. We, he's calling us to clean up the hypocrisy. Um, and there's a Romans chapter 12, verse 9, says, love must be sincere. I want to show you the way the message translates that one. Love from the center of who you are, don't fake it. Don't fake it. So in order not to, in, in order to love from the center of who you are, you've got to change what's in the center of who you are. You have to become a better version of yourself or, you know, uh, you know more humble, more authentic, more uh, empathetic, all the, more service-like, more Christ-like, all the things we're talking about in this series in order not to fake it. But that brings me back to that question I asked before we, we looked at 23, and that is, why are we so tempted to fake it? Why do you think that is? i got a few answers I want to run through with you uh, as to why, even though we know this and we value this, why we're tempted to fake it. Uh, number one is this. We're scared of being exposed. Like We don't want people to see our weaknesses because we're afraid that they won't understand or they'll judge us, or they'll think less of us. And so we pretend like we have it all together, knowing that not anybody has it all together. Like, we would know that intellectually we would not, in a sense, like, yeah, we know no, nobody has it all together, absolutely, but I'm going to keep pretending like I have it all together because I'm afraid that I don't want to let that be known to people because if that's known, then, then I'm going to be exposed for being a hypocrite. So we, we keep pretending like we've got it together, knowing that everybody else is pretending as well. It's kind of a weird dance if you think about it. Like we know, you know, intellectually nobody has it together, but we all pretend to have it together while we're together. Um, it's, it's a weird thing. And so it's very rare, though, that I have seen in, in like small group settings or uh, in church settings, whatever, it's very rare that I've seen someone admit to a struggle or a weakness and then people have... Um, rejected them or judged them or, you know, said, that's it, I don't want anything to do with you, get out of here. I know, I know that it happens. We're talking about how it happens in this series about toxic church environments and toxic culture. So I know it happens, but most of the time I feel when somebody confesses a weakness, what they hear in response is, yeah, me too. 
or us too. Yeah, yeah, our family has dealt with that same thing. Or our family is dealing with that same thing right now. Because the Bible says that nothing we're, not, nothing we're going through um, is uncommon. Like what, the temptations, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the temptations that we go through are common to man. Everybody deals with this stuff. Everybody deals with this stuff. So it's okay to be honest about it if you're dealing with it. It's okay to be honest about it. Most of the time, you'll find people that say, yeah, I'm struggling with that too. The second reason that we um, struggle to be authentic is we're scared that we'll be rejected, that uh, people won't like us. Like if you knew the real me, you, you wouldn't like me. And again, I think the reverse usually happens, that when we're authentic and transparent, people like us more. Like any time I've ever been just a little bit vulnerable on the stage, and, and any time like people come up to me like, oh, that was so powerful, your vulnerability and, and your transparency, I'm so glad. And I'm never but just a little bit vulnerable on stage, okay? I'm never like a, a lot vulnerable on stage. But anytime I'll be a little, I'll talk about some struggle that I'm having, uh, people respond to that positively rather than negatively. There was a guy that used to tell a story here at the church about the way he decided to become a member at the church. They'd been attending for for, I don't know, several months or years or whatever. And I told this story years ago about losing my temper. I don't even remember what it was about, but I told it losing my temper, and there was a bottle of cough syrup on the kitchen table, and I took it and I threw it up against the wall, and it you know, splattered everywhere, and cough syrup went all against the wall, and I had to spend the next 30 minutes cleaning up red cough syrup off the wall. And the guy was like, okay, I'm ready to join now. Like, if, if that's the way the pastor is, I'm ready to join. And that doesn't make any sense. He said, but I was just like, okay, you're normal. You lose your temper and you throw cough syrup up against the wall. You're normal. I've done that. I want to join. Um, and that's typically what happens. Like, when we reveal our real selves, when we talk about our real struggles, uh, typically that is attractive to people. It's not that we get rejected. Now, here's the struggle with it. Um, when we are rejected, like, let's say we, we, we are authentic selves to 50 people. And one of them rejects us. And 49 people accept us, but one of them rejects us. The problem is we, take, we put more value on that one than we do the 49. We spend more time thinking about the one than we do all the people that, that positively responded to us. That, like we, we, my brother calls that being a taker of ones. So if, if you do something and 10 people compliment you and one person says, I didn't really like that. Or if you, you post something on social media and 100 people are like, that's awesome, I love it, great, great. And one person kind of poops on it, then we think about the one person. We unfriend them and then we think about them, right? That, that's all we think about is that one person. Uh, but I think overall most people respect it and, and accept it. Uh, but here's the third one. The biggest reason, and I think this is the biggest reason we fake it. The church has taught us well. We fake it because the church has taught us to fake it. The church has encouraged us to fake it. Because church was the place that you went when you had it all together. Like if you didn't have it all together... That's when you kind of slipped away from going to church because you're trying to get your life together. And you, how many people have said that or how many of you have done that? Like, yeah, I wasn't going to church during that time because I was trying to get my life together. But when I got it all together, that's when I come to church. That's the opposite, I think, of what Jesus intended for the church to be. But that's, that's what we've done. Like, the church was a place that you came if you had it all together and it was a place you avoided if you were struggling. Um, and it's because of toxic leadership or toxic cultures where leaders cared more about the reputation of the church than they did about um, 
faithfulness or mercy or justice or any of these big things that, that Jesus talked about. Like they cared more about the appearances. And so there would be people who were rejected of membership because, well, we don't want to have the appearances that we approve of something like that. Like we don't like that. That was one of the logic. Like we, we you know, we don't want to have the, the wrong appearances. Uh, worst of all, if you study like what happened during the Church 2 movement with with big evangelical churches like, like Willow Creek, but then also with the Catholic Church, if you watch that, that scandal play out, worst of all, the church was so concerned about its reputation that it hid actual cases of abuse, hid cases of sexual abuse or physical abuse at its leaders because it was worried about, well, that's going to damage the reputation of the church. It was more about keeping up the appearances, keeping up the hypocrisy than it was caring for people. And uh, so along the way, we taught ourselves to hide. But I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind for the church. That to me is not a, not a church called good, where we have to hide and cover up and pretend we have it all together in order to be accepted. And um, that's not what we're trying to nurture in this church. Like we're trying to, from, from day one, we've tried to nurture authentic community. As, as Ebony was kind of recapping this series a little bit, I was sitting here thinking about how this church started and why this church started. And it largely started in response to we don't want to have a toxic church culture. I mean, it large, like we want to be grace-oriented. Uh, we want to be non-judgmental. We want, to, we want to have a safe place. Those three words have been a part of Murray Hill since day one. We want this to be a safe place, whether it's people wrestling with doubt or whether it's people wrestling with sin in their life or whether it's people wrestling with trying to overcome legalism or whatever it is we want it to be a safe place for people to to exist and so we've tried to foster since day one an authentic community and um we've not done it perfectly because uh, as i've emphasized throughout this series you know we're people are human beings are sinful including human beings at this church are sinful but we've tried to nurture authenticity because i really think that's what jesus desires out of our church communities he doesn't desire I don't, I don't think jesus is evaluating churches on now they got the best student ministry or now they got the best worship or they got the best preacher man that guy can really preach i don't think that's the standard of like what makes a church good is how good the student ministry is or how good the worship is or how good the 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 online experience is or whatever like we, we want to do those things well but what makes a church good is are people being formed in the likeness of christ are people being formed in humility are people being formed in kindness are people being formed in empathy are people being formed in authenticity you know like these things that jesus is preaching against in matthew 23 are we are we falling into the same trap or are we pr producing something different are we trying to be a church of, of good it's all about the culture of the church not about the externals it's not about the outside of the cup and dish it's about the inside of the cup and dish there's a story in uh, Luke 18. I'm just going to read it to you. I was going to tell it to you, but I think Luke tells it better than I tell it. It's one of my favorite stories in Scripture, and, and I, it keeps coming up every week in this series. And so I finally said, well, i got to work it in this week because it fits every single one of them. It's a parable. And it says in verse 9, To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee is the highly religious, highly respected person. The tax collector is the despised person because they were thought to be 
in cahoots with the Roman government and they were thought to be cheating their own people. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance, and he would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified for God, before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's pray together. Father, that story is a reminder. Uh, should we ever get too confident in our own self-righteousness? Or should we ever get uh, too judgmental? Uh, or should we ever get hypocritical? That story is a reminder of what's important to you, what you value. Uh, you value humility, you value authenticity, you value um, repentance more than the righteousness that this Pharisee seemed to uh, exude. He was following all the right rules and giving a tenth and doing all those things, but you value something deeper within us. And so, Father, I pray you help us to do that. I pray you help, as a church, I pray that you help us to... Um, to be formed in your image. And then as a people, just individually, you help us to be formed in your image. And when we mess up, and, and we will, that we repent and we start over. And uh, you help us just to continually seek to clean the inside uh, so that the outside will be clean also. That's what I'm praying that you help us to do, not only as a congregation, but as, a, as the people, as your people, and also as a community. I pray you help us to do those things. And it's in the name of your son that I pray these things.